Uh, while the kids are going to their classes, I just had a little bit of an announcement for, for all the rest of you. Uh, you might have seen it on our, on our Facebook page or in our weekly emails that go out, but in a couple weeks' time, we're planning to have a service of baptism. We've had a couple of college students uh, that have come forward and, and wanted to be baptized, and so we know plenty of you are baptized already, but if there is anybody that really, uh, they've been thinking about it for a while, and this is the opportunity, and you're saying to yourself, yes, on the 24th, I would love to get baptized. Come and talk to myself or, or Pastor Heather. Uh, if you're still needing some time to think about it, or you're just not sure, or maybe that's too short of a notice if you want your family to come and be here when you're baptized, we will have another baptism service uh, in the spring. Uh, we just kind of thought, hey, we should open this up to anybody else uh, that wants to get baptized as well. So uh, I believe there'll be a sheet out at the, the Welcome Center out there. Uh, if you don't get a chance to talk to one of us, you can leave your name and your contact info, and we'll get in touch with you. We're continuing our, our sermon series today, Walking with Abraham, and it uh, gets pretty interesting today, and uh, I hope you're prepared for that. But let's talk, about, let's talk about hard things for a minute or two. There are different kinds of hard things in life. Right? Some of these we can overcome more easily than other hard things. We just had the children up here. Think back to when you were a small child and some of the things that you might have found hard. Uh, tying your shoes, for instance, was hard when you were little. Who remembers having trouble uh, with tying their shoes when they were little? Right? Your, your tiny fingers are just kind of, kind of too small and not coordinated enough to make the loops and, and tie the little bow. I think we've got a picture up there somewhere maybe. It's a complex, most complex motion. Think back to elementary school and middle school. Things like multiplication tables, doing your scales on the piano, learning the provincial capitals, all hard. Your brain just couldn't absorb all that information and keep it all straight. Or think back to high school, or maybe some of you are in college and, and it's still similar. Learning to drive, hard. Uh, especially if you're trying to learn on a manual transmission vehicle or relearn. Getting up the nerve to talk to your crush, hard. These are more complex things. They get emotional, right? Remember, if any of you had the experience of trying to learn to drive a standard, going up a little bit of a hill, maybe in Moose Jaw, Getting to the top, the light's red, stalling when you try to get going, you get all frustrated and the guy behind you's blowing the horn. It gets emotional, some of these things. They're hard. You told yourself, I'm never going to get this. It's too hard. It's impossible. But most of us as adults can now do things that when we were 6 or 10 or 16, we thought would be impossible and we'd never do. And now we do them without even thinking about them. They weren't impossible, it turns out. They were just hard. And a little age and a little maturity, we made it, we did okay. Think back again, though, to when you were a kid. Anybody want to be an astronaut when you, when you were a kid? Yeah, okay. Some of you maybe, uh, if you're a little older, you remember like the moon landings and stuff. And others, it's just being an astronaut's cool, right? There, look at this guy. He's an astronaut. But did you know you can't just go be an astronaut? Uh, turns out there are actually some qualifications that you can't do much about. Uh, you have to have 20-20 vision, for instance, and you can't be colorblind. And you can't be taller than six foot two. 
Space capsules are small, it turns out. So if you're real tall, no astronauting for you. And, and these are things you can't change, right? If you're six foot five, you can't shrink yourself down to 5'11 so you can be an astronaut. It is literally impossible, given the current rules, for you to become an astronaut. You just can't do it. It's a physical, a biological impossibility. You just can't do it. These, these are not characteristics that are acquired or changed. You're just born that way or you're not. That's how it works. I'm never going to play linebacker on a pro football team. Just not going to happen. And I'm okay with that. Some things are just impossible. And that's where we find Sarah and, uh, and Abraham. Especially Sarah, though, today. So, going to need some volunteers. I'm going to need three guys. Three guys. We've got Abraham and Sarah already, but I need three guys to be the mysterious visitors. Hands up anybody that wants to be a mysterious visitor. Cody, come on over here. Who else wants to be a mysterious visitor? I see some guys back there. Get up here. We need a mysterious visitor or two. Two more. Two more mysterious visitors. Come on down. Hands up somebody. Or I'm just going to pick you. Hey, we got another guy. One more guy. Come on down, Tim. All right. This is going to be good. All right. You guys come on up here. You don't actually have to do all that much. You guys don't, don't kick the cello. Just stand right about here. All right. As this story is presented in scripture, it's pretty comical. And we kind of figured, you know what, let's... Uh, Let's see how this actually plays out. So we left Abraham at the end of Genesis 17 with a promise that he and Sarah would have a son by this time next year. And this promise is repeated in today's passage. It seems that this, this visit from the Lord happens pretty quickly after the events of, of Genesis 17. There's like 13 years that go by between Genesis 16 and 17, but then it seems like it must be only a matter of, of days or weeks between 17 and 18, because it's still the same promise that Sarah will have a child within the year. So uh, it can't be really very much time, just probably a few weeks. This shows us, however, is that now Abraham is back on track and walking with God. Things actually start happening again in Abraham's story. He kind of got off track with God and we had 13 silent years. Now things are happening again. Okay, let's, let's look at this story. It says, The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So there he is, uh, sitting by his tent. Uh, we have a place name too, which, which if we're paying attention... That should clue us in as well that he's back on track with the Lord. You remember way back in Genesis 13, we read that he pitched his tent at the Oaks of Mamre after parting company with Lot and that he built an altar to the Lord there. And so he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight... Do not pass by your servant. At any rate, there he is, sitting by his tent. And off in the distance, uh, we'll just pretend you're further away. Okay, there you go. They're 
tiny specks way off in the heat waves on the horizon. And they come a little closer and he sees that there's three men there. And off he goes to meet them. At least the narrator calls them three men. Things get rather mysterious rather quickly. And what we read about here is kind of standard fare as far as uh, Middle Eastern hospitality goes. Uh, you know, you, you'd bow yourself down. Uh, you would speak of your visitors in a very exalted sort of a fashion. And you'd speak of yourself in a very self-deprecating fashion. And then you would make elaborate preparations to host your visitors. However, as we're about to see, Abraham takes these elaborate preparations to, you know, way, way over the top. So, Abraham says, Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring you a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. Now, it's interesting that right off the start, it says that Abraham only uh, addressed one of the men, even though there's three. That gets to be quite an interesting thing here. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's a little easier to see that it switches back and forth between singular and plural. Um, as I said, it's mysterious. Now, preparing food wasn't something that you just did you know, in, in a couple minutes in a pre-modern culture. They didn't have just some chicken nuggets that you pulled out of the freezer and popped in the oven. And even if they did, that wouldn't really be appropriate to feed to such honored guests. You, you guys are probably going to have to wait. You want to just, I guess you can have a seat down there. This, this is going to be a while, I think. Um. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. Sarah. Sarah, we got through this one. Sarah. 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 <laughs> Visitors! Bread! We need bread! Ah, baker, I'm your wife. We never had it so good. We need bread still. Bread! We need bread. Abraham assures his guests that he'll get them a morsel of bread. I imagine him saying it in a, in a more dignified manner to his guests than, than he minute. did to Sarah. One minute. Now, I'd always imagined that three sayas of flour was like three cups or so, like Sarah's going to make them each a pizza, kind of a, a bread. It turns out that a saya is actually a really large measure, like a whole sack of flour. Asaya's like 12 to 16 pounds, and she's going to make bread out of three of those. So, so we're going to be a while there. Um, anyhow, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Abraham, remember, Abraham's 99 or 100, so he's running, running to where the animals are to find a calf, get some servants, butcher it and get it ready. Now, even if they're... I mean, even if the animals are close at hand, you don't, you've got to butcher, the, you've got to kill the animal, you've got to bleed it out, you've got to butcher it, you've got to skin it, you've got to cut it up, you've got to cook it. He's going to be there, he's going to be there a while. And cooking it's going to take some time. So, I mean, what are... It's, it's going to be a while, guys. You, I don't know, here's... It's, it's got multicultural hospitality in this month's edition of Faith Today. That, 
That might keep you busy. I'm going to go see where he's at. I mean, they are heading for Sodom and Gomorrah next, so. Uh, he's, he's still, he's going to be a while, guys. Um, this is a pretty fun game. Uh, you ever played Dutch Blitz? There's some instructions in there. You can, I guess, have a go at that if you want. He's, he's going to be a while. He's still going to be a while. You, you guys can probably go have a seat. Thanks, guys. Let's, yes. Otherwise, they'd be sitting there literally for hours, and I don't know if we want you to stay as long as it's going to take to get that cow ready. To his credit, I mean, Abraham is committed to providing his guests with the best he possibly can. Not just some bread, not just some crusty old dry bread they had laying around, but fresh baked bread and in large, large quantities, right? And, and not just some old scrawny goat that was destined for the soup pot already, but choice veal, uh, freshly killed and, and prepared. However, as, as I'm very certain we've seen, th this whole thing does start to seem a bit a bit on the over-the-top side. So eventually, the meal is prepared, and the, the three visitors do uh, enjoy their meal. And as they're finishing up, this would be the time that they'd be expected either to share some interesting stories, uh, maybe they're here to transact some business, you know, talk about sharing the land, or wells, or traveling through the territory, or, or trade something, whatever. Uh, they just, they ask kind of an unusual question. Because up until this point, Sarah's just been in the tent. They haven't really seen her. And so they ask, where is your wife Sarah? This would seem a little unusual, perhaps. These strangers, they, they seem to know a little bit more than the average traveler for some faraway land should know about Abraham's situation, it would seem. And then they continue, or at least one of them does. I'm going to return. Back to singular again. By this time next year, you and Sarah will have a son. Now, where has Abraham heard that before? He's heard it just back one chapter, which is probably only a few weeks ago, remember, in Genesis 17. Within this time next year, Sarah's going to have a son. And so now Abraham knows these are not just ordinary travelers. The last time somebody told him this, it was God. If he hadn't clued in already that these mysterious strangers are not just run-of-the-mill travelers... He's starting to figure it out by this point. I also suspect that Abraham has a little bit of a lump in his throat for another reason. Because it would seem that he has not yet told Sarah about this promise. As we're going to find out in just a few verses. This seems to be news to her. Now, guys, we, we've all been there at some point, haven't we? Like, how am I going to explain this large charge that I put on the MasterCard this month? But the drill was on sale at Home Depot. So, so really, we're saving money by spending this $350. Really, we are, right? Guys, we've all been there at some point, haven't we? How am I going to tell her? You're waiting for a good... Do you do it when, when things are kind of not so good? Because, well, it's not so good. What's a little bit more bad news? Or do you wait until your wife's in a good mood to try to tell her? But then you risk, like, ruining a perfectly good day... I'm sure he was just trying to find the right opportunity and 
hadn't come yet. And maybe he just wanted to wait and see if anything happened. Maybe he was just like, maybe I don't need to say anything. Maybe events will just happen. In, in case there was any doubt, the narrator spells it out clearly. This is actually an impossibility. Not only has Sarah been unable to have children up until now, she is now past the age of having any hope of doing so. The NIV is quite polite. It just says she was past childbearing age. Whereas more literal translations are, are closer to the Hebrew idiom, the way of women had ceased for her. She's, she's past menopause now. She can't, if she couldn't have children before, she really can't have children now. It's just biologically no longer possible. It's a physical and biological impossibility that Sarah will have any children. This isn't the category of difficult things that could be overcome, right? This isn't like you, you wreck your ACL, and, but with the right rehab and training, you can get back to where you can play basketball. Nothing Sarah can do will be able to make her have children at this point. It's gone from the realm of the difficult and the improbable and crossed over into the realm of the impossible. As we often find in Scripture, though, this seems to be the realm where God actually likes to work best. Again, as far as we can tell, this is all news to Sarah. It says in the next verses that, that she's been, she's been uh, eavesdropping on the conversation at the door of the tent behind Abraham, right? So we could imagine his chair is maybe turned a little bit more. He's with the visitors. Uh, he can't see that she's like kind of peeking out, listening at the door. And so she starts laughing. And I imagine just a little bit of a laugh at first. Like she's trying to cover her mouth and contain it a bit. But as they tell her this, it just it gets out of control and she can't stifle it anymore. And pretty soon the three guests hear her, even if they can't see her. These, these three visitors, who probably looked quite important, have trekked who knows how far, across the desert most likely. She and Abraham have run themselves ragged, for the better portion of a day, I mean, you don't bake, what, 36 plus pounds of flour into loaves of bread in short order. You don't kill a calf and cook it in short order. You would expect that maybe these visitors would have wondrous tales of far off places, some impressive goods to trade, important business to transact. Instead, all they really seem to have to say for themselves is to communicate the message that these two elderly people are going to be parents. Right? In a way, kind of anticlimactic, but in a way, actually quite wondrous. But if this whole story hasn't seemed funny up until now, this, this latter part should. Now, of course, Sarah's laughter is a natural enough human response. We seem rather prone to take ourselves way too seriously. Even or especially when we look pretty ridiculous. Sometimes it seems the more ridiculous we look, the more serious we try to take ourselves. And we seem to take, or at least we seem prone to take, God not nearly seriously enough. Even or especially when he is making faithful and precious promises to us. So the Lord corrects Sarah but his response is really quite gentle and he does two things uh, two things he asks a question this is something God always seems to do to get people's attention to kind of break through whatever defenses they've built up uh, 
He either does it directly or sometimes through his messenger, right? Why are you hiding, Adam? Where's your brother, Cain? What is that bleeding of sheep I hear, Saul? What are you doing here, Elijah? Who do people say that I am, disciples? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? God frequently asks these sort of questions to get his people to think deeper, to admit their true motivations and and to acknowledge how things really are. So God's question here is, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I'm sure Abraham and Sarah would have responded with, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And we would too, right? Many of us have been students at, at college level, taken Bible classes. We've been Christians for a long time. We know that that's the right answer. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. But will Abraham and Sarah actually believe that? Will they actually act like they believe that? Will we? The second thing the Lord does is he reaffirms the promise. The whole point of this section is basically just a reaffirmation of the promise God made in the previous chapter. There's really no new information added. Uh, It's the same promise. Within a year, uh, Abraham and Sarah will have a child. Might be hard to believe. It might even be laughable. But it is God's promise. You can get so caught up in trying to figure out the identity of the the three visitors, right? And commentators love to speculate on this. Is, is, is the, the singular figure, if you will, is that the Lord? And are the other two uh, angelic messengers? Um, is, is it a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? Is it the Trinity? What's going on here? And we can speculate about that and speculate about that until we kind of miss the point, I think. I think the bigger point is that the Lord, in his grace and his patience and in his love for his servant Abraham and Sarah, went to visit them personally to reassure him and Sarah of his promise for them. God's promise to Abraham, it wasn't something he imagined in the previous chapter, you know, like he he had a weird dream or something, um, ate something that gave him indigestion and, and... slept badly, wasn't a word meant for somebody else, God wasn't talking to some guy over Abraham, you ever have that, somebody waves at you, and you think they don't actually wave at you, they're actually waving at somebody over, and then you're caught in the middle, and you feel awkward, that wasn't what was happening, God wasn't addressing some other person, and Abraham mistakenly thought it was for him, even though the Lord's promise should still be fresh in Abraham's mind, and in his heart, the Lord in his grace and his love, is willing to make another visit to reassure and reaffirm the promise. Here's the thing. Abraham did what was normal, acceptable, even expected within his culture, perhaps in a little bit of an over-the-top fashion, but uh, I suspect if most of us as predominantly Westerners, some, some will have probably experienced it, missionary service in other parts of the world, other cultures really do have a much stronger sense of hospitality than we do. And to us, it might seem quite over the top. In any case, Abraham did what was normal, acceptable, and even expected in his culture. That meant a lot of work. That meant killing an animal. That meant cooking it. That meant baking a lot of bread. 
think the Bible here does give us plenty of clues that this is supposed to be a little bit of a comical passage. It does go out of its way a couple of times to tell us how old Abraham is, but then to emphasize that he was running around doing these things. As I studied this passage and I prayed about it and I thought about it, I kept coming back to this. What culturally appropriate or normal or even expected things do we spend a lot of time and effort on trying, if we're totally honest, on trying to impress God? What we saw today, we all laughed, we thought it looked pretty silly, but I sometimes wonder if, if someone could look in on what we busy ourselves with, trying to impress God, if it might not look equally as silly. And yet that wasn't why God appeared to him that day. God didn't, he wasn't walking along going, you know what, nobody has really made a fuss over me lately. I'm going to show up at Abraham's tent so that he'll do all this impressive stuff for me. It wasn't the point of what the Lord was doing at all. He came to Abraham's tent not to receive from him, but to bring Abraham good news, to reaffirm his promise to him. He didn't show up because he wanted Abraham and Sarah to do a whole bunch of impressive stuff for him. He showed up because he wanted to tell Abraham and Sarah that he was going to do something impossible for them. I don't know if it might be inappropriate to imagine God sitting there trying to amuse himself while Abraham and Sarah ran around baking bread and butchering a calf, but I do think it is worth pondering for a moment whether God might be waiting while we run around doing all kinds of stuff, possibly well-intentioned things, even good things, even things that are for him, if he's just sitting there waiting to get a chance to get a word in edgewise and remind us not of what impressive things we need to do for him, but what impossible things he will do for us. So I just want to leave us with with some basic questions from this passage to think about. And we'll conclude with a word of prayer. Question one. Where are we trying to do impressive things for God without realizing that he wants and even waits to do impossible things for us? And where, number two, where in our lives, if we slow down from all that, is he already saying to us, here is my promise. And when we go, he responds with the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your promise to do what, humanly speaking, is impossible. Um, Of course, we know where the story of, of Abraham ends up. Think of the the son of the promise that that was born to them, his descendants on down through the ages. 
and eventually um, Jesus our Lord. And if uh, a couple that was elderly and advanced in years, having a child was impossible, uh, we also think of the work that Jesus came to do of freeing us from our sins, restoring us into fellowship with you, um, that truly was impossible. Um, was not something that we could contribute to, no matter how much energy we expended, how much running around we did, um, how many impressive things we did. It was not an impressive thing we could do for you, but an impossible thing you had to do for us, Lord. Um, and so knowing that, we come before you today in faith and trust that you can still do what is impossible in our lives. Um, whether that is our circumstances that we find ourselves in, whether that is healing we are looking for, uh, whether that is reassurance uh, that we truly are your children, uh, reassurance that there is always a way back to you, even when we've gone astray, uh, we come before you, Lord, and we place our trust in you that you can still do what is impossible from our point of view. And Lord, we also know that there are times when we uh, get so focused on all the things that we believe we need to do for you, and we might never say it out loud that we're doing all these things to impress you or earn your favor, but we know there are times, Lord, when we need to set those things aside and let you get that word in, that word of promise, that word of blessing, uh, that word that we are uh, accepted regardless of all those things uh, because of what you've already done for us. So may what we've heard today and this reminder uh, to your servants Abraham and Sarah also be a reminder to us of your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, and your promise that you can and that you will do the impossible. We pray these things in Jesus' name.